I'm just going to take a wild guess. Tom, you haven't listened to the new J. Cole album. I have no idea what that is. Oh, my God. Tom, you're from Brooklyn, man. Yeah, sort of. Okay. <laughs> and then I live in, like, the, the okay, yuppie part of Brooklyn, and I'm not yeah, from yeah. – I live – I currently live in the yuppie part of Brooklyn. Yeah, and that's not fair. I have fair. the least you didn't street cred of anyone on the planet. You didn't grow up in no brownstone is what you're trying to say. Is that what you call them, a brownstone? Brownstones are actually extremely nice. Um, um, okay, No, I grew on. up in the suburbs of Connecticut. But when you when I say the brownstones, I mean, like, the traditional sense is that – like, the traditional, like, obviously, Brooklyn is a lot different now, and the reputation of Brooklyn is changing, just like in downtown L.A. Downtown L.A. used to be a slum for decades, and it's starting to come around, and people are moving there, et cetera, et cetera, construction. But – People still associate downtown LA with Skid Row, and in Brooklyn, the brownstones—that's that's traditionally like the rough area. Am I am I on? Am I close? Is no. that true? No. What do they no, call not them? Really? Uh, the projects? I mean, is that what you're talking about? I don't know. I don't know. But like um, housing projects are not nice. Um, they were for a very short period of time when they were sort of developed but then it just ended up being kind of like a failure of urban planning but yeah no brownstones have always been nice i mean it's it's a whole thing of like the history of new york city that new york kind of used to be nicer then there was like kind of a lot more crime during the uh 20th century and then that really petered off and a lot of those areas are becoming nice again but yeah brownstones have always been nice it's because i moved out of the area that's like saying like you grew up in like the mean streets of like the penthouse or something i don't know that's i'm butchering that but yeah maybe no brownstones are nice that's where Triple H. So yes, yeah, so I still have no idea what that the the, the music act you you mentioned. Yeah, J Cole. I've no, I've you would no like no idea him. whatsoever. You would like him. J Cole's good for people who have like a master's degree. I'll, okay, we'll start well, you there. Um, yeah. Good. So let me ask you this: How far away do you live from the Barclay Center? About twenty-five minutes. Walking. Um, it's actually very close walking. No, I, I actually drive, but it's, it's only uh, a couple of miles. It's actually, uh, takes longer to drive, not in total, but I mean, it's like relatively a longer drive than walking or biking just cause like New York streets are annoying. Right. But yeah, very close. Right. So, um, this weekend we had, I mean, it was a good weekend of boxing. I, I, I think, it's safe oh, to for say sure. great weekend of boxing the marquee fights with the exception of one fight everyone delivered in some way and, and it might not have been in the way that you wanted it to or you expected it to but they all <laughs> delivered and we're going to start with adrian broner versus jesse vargas now i do want to say before we get onto that subscribe review the podcast give it a rating that helps us out helps people um discover the podcasts um Let's see, what else? So, yeah, so subscribe to all our social media stuff. Let's get into this fight. The first question I'm going to ask, usually, you know, I'll give a, a take on the fight, but I'm not going to do that this time. Like, you know, I'll give a little intro, but we know, I mean, if you didn't see it, basically, Broner and Vargas fought. They fought. And the question that I'm going to, going to ask will, like, the only way to answer this question is to reveal your take on the fight on the whole. And the question is, and I'll let you lead this off, Tom, is did the judges get it right? 
I thought the judges' scores were acceptable. Um, I was actually, I'm actually curious to hear what you thought seeing it from home because I talked to a lot of the people on Press Row and I talked to uh, Boxing Lens, our photographer, and, and some of the other guys that I know from the New York boxing media. Um, I had it uh, 7-5 Vargas. Mm-hmm. I saw that. Um, I feel like that's pretty fair. Um, I, I had a bunch of swing rounds. There were a lot of rounds which were inactive. Um, so I could have seen it, but it, it felt more like a close fight that edged Vargas um, than edging Broner. But, you know, there were enough close rounds that I could have seen it. Plus, even the rounds that um, I felt Vargas was winning, um, just frequently throughout the fight, the narrative was playing out that Broner seemed to be landing the much harder shots, whereas Vargas was landing with greater activity. Although, you know, still good shots. It's not like he was landing slapping punches. Right. Totally. Well, I'm not going to say I completely agree with you, but um, I also don't disagree with you. So for me... Um, I love this fight. This is going to be a textbook fight that we're going to bring up over and over again. Like you, this is like if you think that you're done with Adrian Broner and Jesse Vargas, uh, or you know you never have to think about his acne on the side of his his neck and back. I'm sorry, but you're going to because this is a that was textbook disgusting fight. in person. By the way, did you see any pop? No, but God, I mean, his like. I don't know if this came through on TV as much, but like his neck and face, even like it, he had a huge amount of back knee, but also like his face and neck were like bulging through the fight. Like he had a very weird posture, like leaning forward with kind of his like his neck pulled up. It's kind of hard to even explain, but yeah, it just looked disgusting. And I got right up next to him after the fight and like, oh my God. Yeah. And his back knee was just You wanted like, to pop one, huh? Oh, so disgusting. I mean, it was like looking at barnacles on a ship or something. It was just, ugh. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. I think I, I, think I know what you're talking there. about. Obviously, I don't have much experience with water in the ocean, but I think I know what you're talking about. I always thought that that was rust. But anyway, so back to the, the fight. Um, <laughs> no, they're little sea creatures. Yeah, anyone Google oh. image search barnacles and you'll see what I'm talking about. My other experience of barnacles is from SpongeBob. So like this is probably not the two best uh, examples. But anyway, before like people are like, what are these guys talking about? So with this fight, this is your typical seven to five either guy fight. And what this fight is going to reveal and why I like it so much is that your take on the fight is going to reveal your personal bias in boxing. No doubt about it. Like your justification will tell me who you are as a boxing fan. You cannot escape it. Like if you prefer the catchier shots the shots that appear to be the heavier landed, you will lean towards Broner. If you like activity, if you like making it obvious that you're doing more boxing stuff, you will prefer Vargas. And if you're a pretty well-rounded uh, fan that looked at it pretty objectively and can see both sides, you'll, you'll have scored it a draw. If you don't know what specifically you like and you basically throw everything out the window each round and take it newly... I think you're the person that scored it a draw because this was even, and it was even in every, every way that you can really look at it in the, in except for punches thrown, but they, they did, I would say an equal amount of damage with Vargas, obviously looking more damaged because he's, you know, has the fairer skin than Broner. Um, but they did about an equal amount of damage. They, 
they landed close to the same amount, which was pretty shocking given this is Adrian Broner we're talking about. And the biggest, uh, well, I, I should not say the biggest, but one of the criticisms people have of him is just he doesn't do enough in fights. But clearly, he did enough to throw and land, or not throw, but land just as much as our friend Jesse Vargas did. So I, the momentum was even even. Like if you look at the fight, the momentum shifts, they both, it, it was pretty even. Um, and I think both of them did a really good job showing just how bad defensively they are and how good they are. Like they, they literally showed both sides to their game and showed they were pretty much even. And so that's why I really like this fight. Now, how did I see it? I saw it even. I didn't think that either guy really did enough to, to, to take the fight. I didn't score it. I, pro I also didn't think it was going to be a close fight. I thought Vargas was going to basically do what we typically see happen when Broner loses, like what Mikey Garcia did, is that he's going to keep him from getting off and Broner's just going to, you know, piss the fight away. And that didn't happen. And so I, I really liked um, the performance from both guys. I thought they both showed something. And uh, I didn't really prefer either guy. And I see your point of view. I totally see the, the argument for Vargas. Like 7-5 to five for Vargas, totally acceptable. So I think for once, no, no, not for once. That is not fair at all for me to say. But I, uh, what I will say is just the judges got it right. Absolutely got it right. And I was a little suspicious too when they showed those names and I was like, Julie Letterman and two dudes that I've never heard of? Huh. Okay, we'll see how this goes. And they got it right. I think definitely, I mean, the draw ends up, I mean, I have a lot to respond to from what you said. Um, but the, the draw is a good outcome for both guys. I mean, I, I'm, I'm still writing my, my post-fight article. But coming in, I think it, it felt like one of the, this is like sort of a, not quite loser leaves town match, but like loser leaves like main event status match. Like it, it felt like both guys had a lot to gain and a lot to lose. And I feel like a draw is really, you know, it's, it's, it's a lucky outcome. You know? It's like draws are almost like a statistical anomaly when they come up because it could have easily, I, I feel like any of the judges could have swung one or two rounds or at least one round, you know, in the other direction. And then suddenly you have a split decision win for one of the guys or, you know, a unanimous decision win if it, if they all go in one direction. So it's, it's good for both guys that that happen. I mean, yeah, I, I enjoyed this fight so much. I mean, I have to say, I mean, the big surprising outcome, I feel like we're either for Adrian Broner, for a lot of his career, we've either seen him like blowing out guys who are overmatched or just kind of struggling and not being active enough when he's in with more competitive guys. Even the fights that he's gotten the decisions, you know, they, they've been some kind of like ugly performances like the Adrian Granados fight. Mm -hmm. um, tonight, mm -hmm. I mean, this this looked like, you know, I've always been an Adrian Broner fan. And it's not just because I thought, you know, when he was blowing out smaller guys that, oh, you know, he's a superstar. I just I like. I like the way he does his work. I like the way he throws, you know, when he does throw combinations. I just, I like something very, uh, like, appealing about his, his offense. And this was, you know, this is what you want to see out of him. Like, this is this is what you always hope when you see, like, a young guy coming up and they look like they're good. You're hoping one day to see them in a tough competitive fight where you really get to see what they have and they have to put that uh, all out there to try to win the fight. And I felt like, you know, this was, in my opinion, by far the most entertaining fight of Broner's career. I mean, I... I thought it was great. I haven't gotten a chance to watch the, the Showtime broadcast of the Broner fight. I watched the first two fights. But um, <laughs> to then to then bring up another topic about the fight. So, I mean, one just very quick thing. I, I found it absolutely hilarious when Adrian Bro or when um, 
Gary Russell Jr. said on the Showtime broadcast he hadn't seen much tape on Jesse Vargas. I think he said he uh, hadn't seen any. And, he, yeah, well, he said first, I haven't seen much tape on him, which is like, hmm, what does he mean by that? And he's like, yeah, I haven't seen any of his fights. And yeah, people, I mean, this is kind of a running joke in boxing. People know that Gary Russell Jr. is not in love with the sport, is not someone who's around the sport all the time and who watches these fights. But it was hilarious to see him admit that, that he literally hasn't seen a Jesse Vargas fight. And Jesse Vargas has been in so many, like, kind of important fights over the last few years. Um, but so here's my question, though. So speaking of Jesse Vargas and like watching tape on Jesse Vargas, have you ever seen him throw that many body punches before? I mean, to me, that was really surprising. I mean, I don't know if yeah. I just wasn't paying attention, but I was like, man. And, you know, do you say, yeah, you agree with me or yeah, you have seen him do that? No, I, I agree with you. That is a good question. And I, I'm my answer is no, I haven't. Um, and I thought that that was a. a a really wise game plan from him. But at the same time, I also thought that Broner really stupidly didn't like, you know, you sometimes you see, or a lot of times in fights, you see one guy lands a body shot. So the other one's like, Oh yeah, I can throw to the body too. And he throws to the body and he starts landing. And Broner didn't do that much. And I thought that would like the way the fight played out. If Broner had thrown to the body, his chances of winning drastically go up. But he didn't, and obviously, like, that's Broner for you. He did land some good body punches, but, you know, that's the thing you kind of lose track of when you're watching on TV and you don't have the benefit of the, as flawed as punch stats are, it's like, it's nice to get them through the fight to just kind of ground what you're watching and put it in perspective. I mean, he definitely landed some good body shots, but, you know, it was nothing yeah. compared to the commitment Vargas put into the body. Yeah, I mean, Vargas was really just... I mean, those jabs to the body early on, and then once he started to get comfortable with the jabs to the body, he was working power punches to the body. I mean, he was really going for it. I mean, I was... I, I mean, uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Like, the sustained attack. Like, Broner's overall... Yeah, I mean, yeah. Broner overall looked good. Um, he looked like a good... Like, a, you know... A good version of Broner. Obviously, Broner, we know the ceiling on him. We already know that's basically what we saw is, is about as good as Broner's going to get. The only thing Broner, I think, could add to his game is uh, more body work and that might make... Because he lands clean upstairs. Like In every fight, he, you'll see him land clean punches upstairs in this because he's quick. But these shots don't do anything. Like The shots he landed against Mikey didn't do anything. And and Vargas took some big shots, and he, he Broner wasn't able to do to do anything. And I think this is this was a fight where like, in order for Broner to be taken seriously anymore, or no, not taken seriously. Um, it, in order for Broner to stay in attraction, because that's what Broner is now. Broner isn't a title contender. He's not a he's not a gatekeeper either. He's not a journeyman. He's n none of those things. He's just a an attraction in the sport. And you bring him in for for uh, a big gate for for ratings, but like you don't regard his career the same way you do with like Jermel Charlo or you know someone on the rise. I, I you don't you don't treat him like he's um, Ryan Garcia or somebody. Like Broner's past that point. He's just an attraction, and this fight would have killed his his ability to be an attraction. And for Vargas, there was so much at stake for him because if he would have lost this fight, you couldn't take Jesse Vargas serious anymore. And Saddam Ali would be the big loser because Vargas stopped him and then Broner comes and beats it. Like, if, if we just play that out for a second. But 
there was so much at stake in that this fight and it completely delivered and i was just really happy with it because i i seen some uh one of my pals say that they won't watch broner again that they hated his performance and stuff but i gotta disagree with that um he delivered from this fight yeah just i mean i can understand if you don't like weird well i I think it's he doesn't like broner's style and i'm i'm okay with that um but i i think this is the best version of broner that you were going to get and if if you didn't like this then clearly you're never going to enjoy a broner fight because i don't see a broner fight being much better than this um and and i and i liked you know his post-fight interview and everything like he's 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 entertaining but yeah, I, mean, I just, I mean, when I say that, I mean, I just felt like, you know, I could understand someone saying that after the Mikey Garcia fight where he just really wasn't active enough. But yeah, I just thought last night was so entertaining. That seems strange to someone to watch that and say, no, no more of that, please. I mean, yeah, I just thought it was great. Yeah, um, let's move on. This is probably too much to talk about a fight that was, that really has no bearing on any title. Oh, sure. I want to comment like on one quick thing with this, though. Go for I it. mean, so something which uh, we didn't touch on yet was the notion of the catch weight, because I mean this is really interesting. This fight even happened and ended up being as good as it was because you know you have Vargas coming down from 147, and you have Broner coming up from 140. I mean, granted, both of them have alternated between 140 and 147 for different reasons. I mean, <laughs> you know, Vargas to take fights and Broner because he's like missed weight and hasn't had the most discipline. But um, it'll be interesting to see what goes from here because I mean. Uh, I think, um, I mean, if you want to move on, I won't get super into this. But, I mean, I think it is interesting to think, like, where Broner will go from here because 140 is pretty wide open. You said he's not really a tighter title, you know, picture guy, but 140 is pretty wide open. I mean, what do you think a Sergey Lipinets broner fight looks like? I mean, I don't think that's, like, I don't think I'd say, like, Broner's going to get dominated by, by Lipinets. I think that would be a pretty fun fight to watch. And, I mean, Broner, if he goes down to 140 will be by far the biggest uh, money guy at that weight. So he'd be in a position where he could sit in the driver's seat, choose his opponents, pick his spots, and uh, I think he could do a pretty good run there. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see where Broner goes next. I mean, I think with this fight, he really kept himself relevant in the sport. Well, if and I, I, I do believe he will stay at 140. It's a risk-reward thing. Um, Broner poses a big reward to a lot of guys, and I think that they would be hesitant to put him in there with a Sergey Lipinitz if they think that Lipinitz is going to be a clear favorite against Broner. Um, and and my my evidence for that is that Broner could have fought for a world title, but instead Mikey Garcia got the Lipinitz fight, which is a fight that didn't need to happen, and Broner got Antonio DeMarco. And my guess is that that's the fight that they'll still want to make. Um, DeMarco has a bit of a following. People care about DeMarco. People care about Broner. Um, that fight makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, you, you remember that they fought already, right? I mean, that was one of Broner's uh, sh- big highlight I, I messed up. I messed up. I meant um, Omar Figueroa. Oh, yeah, that would be a great fight. Yeah, they, they were already supposed to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It got canceled when Figueroa got, um, you know, <laughs> depending on what you want to believe, either a shoulder injury or drank too much and removed himself from competition. But um, yeah, I mean, Mikey Garcia's um, title is now vacant. He's moving down to 135. So I could see Broner getting that with like kind of a week, you know, it's like he could fight Figueroa for that vacant belt. I mean, couldn't you see that happening? Yeah. I mean, they could, I mean, he could fight Lipinets. Um, if, if, 
if they really want to put him in position to get a title, I just don't see the logic in doing that if you're if what you're thinking for Broner's future is just maximize what you make. And the counter to that, because, you know, I'm not just going to sit here and tell you my point of view and just ignore all facts and counter uh, counter shots. Wow. Um, in the Cavs game, they just hit a buzzer beater from like the other side of the court. But the counter to that is Broner's going to make money no matter who he fights. He He's enough of a draw against everyone that it does make sense to make the lip in his fight because for Broner, there are risky fights, but there are no low reward fights. That's the counter. And I, I completely see that, but I just disagree. Like, I think you go for the highest risk or sorry, the lowest risk with the highest reward. And I don't see Lipinitz as that guy. Figueroa, for sure. Especially if the problems about him, him or his drinking problems are true. Um, look. Well, this, he has a DUI. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> well, I. I t- <laughs> you know, it's, it's on the record now. It's, yeah, it's not a matter of uh, suspicion. So for anyone who's, who's had a DUI, I will not go out and say that you have a problem if you got a DUI. I'll say that you had a problem making a decision one time while you happened to be a little under the influence. Um, and, and and I'm holding out hope that that's what it is for Figueroa. But look, this is boxing. And if um, and so this sucks what I'm about to say, but if he has a drinking problem, I'm trying to fight him as soon as possible before people find out about that so that I can get some credit for beating a guy and getting the uh, another payday out of someone with the name of an Omar Figueroa. Now that I feel yeah. bad about what Good I said. Um, no, I don't feel bad. Uh, and let's then talk just, about... Oh, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say to put a cap on this, and just for Vargas, um, I think he would fit in well with any of the PBC guys at 147. I mean, I think uh, he might have a little bit more stamina um, at 147 than he did at this 144 catch weight. Um, it looks like Sean Porter is going to fight Danny Garcia. I'd put him in with the winner or loser of that fight in the fall. He's one of the few guys calling out Errol Spence. I, I... Would put him in as Spence's fall opponent if he'll take that. He was supposed to fight Keith Thurman in May. That fight didn't happen. I would have him fight Keith Thurman in the summer or the fall. So, yeah, I mean, Vargas has made himself a viable B-side again at 147. So, yeah. I, I would not do any of those things. If if I'm <laughs> okay. going to gonna book the rest of the year for um, Jesse Vargas and looking at Vargas's best interests, I put him on the undercard of that Porter and Garcia uh, card, and I put him against Adrian Granados. And if he looks good in that fight, you now have a legitimate fight you can sell. Um, putting him in with uh, Spence right away, I think is basically sh- uh, hot-shotting him. Vargas is a guy that can fight. And he he has a, a little bit of a following. People know his name and respect his name that um, I think you want to stretch this out. Don't go straight for that fight. Give him Granados. And, and for anybody that's like, no, if he can fight Spence, he should fight Spence. Really think about that. Granados and Vargas is a fight of the year contender. Granados does not come to, to box. That dude is not playing around. And Vargas has shown that when guys want to stand and trade with him, he's down for it. Put those guys together. And then you have Vargas who's beat Granados. And any of those fights, as long as Porter or Garcia don't knock each other out, any of those fights is viable. So that's what I would do. But obviously, I'm not going to be disappointed if we see any combination there. 
uh, Charlo and Centeno. Yeah, that's just to say quickly. That's a good. Uh, yeah, Granado's thinking outside the box always comes to fight. Yeah, it's good. Good suggestion. Yeah, Charlo. Yeah, go ahead. What are your thoughts? Well, here's my thoughts. Okay, I have a serious problem with this fight. Uh, well, maybe, maybe I'm misspeaking. I don't have a problem with the fight. The fight was fine. It was it was cool for what it was. I have a problem with um, people's reaction to the fight. If you like, if you if you look at this fight and you take anything from it, I have a problem with you because I, in my opinion, you can't project anything from this fight. I don't care how clever you are or confident or good or whatever. This is a fight where it's basically like, well, now what? You know, Charlo did what he was supposed to do, but it happened so fast and it, it was so easy. Like you just don't, it's just, it's, it's, Basically, when you're trying to analyze data and you don't have a big enough sample size, you know, the only thing that you could really take away is that, okay, well, Charlo punches pretty hard because he hit him and he went down and he was just out. So that's all I, I see from this fight. But other than that, like, you know, I don't see anything. What is there to take away? So that's, oh. my, that's my takeaway, that there's really nothing to take away from this fight. Charlo punches hard. We already knew that. <clears throat> I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's a good win. Speaks to the quality of Charlo. Um, Centeno himself has something to offer on offense. I, I posted a few clips on the sub this week. I mean, he's had two uh, one-punch knockout, dramatic one-punch knockouts in his last five fights coming into this against Juan De La Rosa and against Emmanuel Lim. So I think, um, you know, Charlo was responsible. He didn't get caught by anything. Um, I mean, I think it's a little bit disre- disrespectful to Hugo Centeno just to say, you know, it's like, it's not like he's like a 20 loss journeyman or something just getting blown out. I mean, he's a real fighter and Charlo made him look like that. Um, I think also, I mean, something that, that speaks to that as well. I mean, if Centeno's brand coming in was, oh, he's not that great, but he's got these one punch knockouts. And then, you know, people, if they want to be dismissive of Jamal Charlo and say, oh, you know, He's not that great. He's just getting these one-punch knockouts, you know, as for talking about, well, this fight was a combination, but, you know, you get my point. Just, oh, he's not that great. He's just blowing out these guys who are lower level. I mean, you know, I think he at least proved he's, you know, leagues above Hugo Centeno, who's another guy you could caricature that way. Um, But what did you say that we already knew that coming into the fight? I mean, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's so weird. It's like, I mean, he did his job completely. I mean, Centeno... Uh, in the first round, tried to fight a complete, just, you know, uh, safety first style. And while Centeno was circling and using this exaggerated moving, just Charlo was stalking, cutting off the ring, ring stalking, cutting off the ring. Second round, he caught him. And then, I mean, that combination was just brilliant to finish him off. I mean, he clipped him and then just landed every punch he threw after that and just sent him down on the canvas completely unconscious. And that left hook that he threw, I mean, I guess he, he actually did land a right hand after that, but the left hook that did most of the damage for the knockout was just brilliant that he had landed a right hand right before that. Centeno puts his uh, guard up on the right side, and then Charlo makes enough of an adjustment that he's still able to clip him right on the face. I mean, that is really next-level stuff. I mean, that's something like when he knocked out Julian Williams, where he had this great... Um, 
you know, that, that, that great uppercut that he blocked the shots coming in, pulled back and dipped the undercut underneath. I mean, when you look at that in slow motion, I mean, that's like matrix stuff. I mean, that just, oh, beautiful. So again, I mean, I don't know, did we learn that much, you know, was it that much different from when he knocked out J-Rock? I mean, I guess maybe not, but I don't know. It's good to see someone, you know, if they did it once and it was cool and they did it once, I'll see him do it twice. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, just to speak back about the Broner fight, that was kind of what I meant about his fight. Like we've seen, we'd seen Broner knock out overmatched guys. And then we'd seen him kind of just have bad fights, win or lose when guys are more competitive, where he just wasn't as active and didn't trade punches as much as we wanted. And we finally got that with the Vargas fight. Like I remember when Varga, when Broner fought um, John Molina on the, the opening PVC card, it's thought like, oh, you know, this could be action packed. Broner might have to work to get this, you know, win, but instead he just kind of did the easiest, you know, path of least resistance, won a decision win, really not much to see there. So yeah, regarding this fight, this is more of the, you know, Charlo blows another guy out more than it is seeing him in a competitive fight where we really get to learn about a lot about him. But yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, if that's what he does to Hugo Centeno, I mean, uh, that's not a bad thing to have on his record. Yeah. First of all, the Charlos, both of them, um, are some of them are two of probably a handful of extremely talented fighters that you can point to and say their 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 ability to to mix their punches and place punches is amongst the very best in the entire sport. And you would put both Charlos in that category. Um, the the knockout over Erickson Lubin by Jamel Charlo um, was from a punch that typically doesn't get thrown from the, the thrown the way he throws it or he threw it and then landed the way he landed it. And um, d- these guys have knocked out enough guys that you can see that that's just their, their work there is just excellent. Now, I, I just, I don't think that we can take too much away from this. Like, do we think he beats Golovkin now? Well, <laughs> what did he do that? Had you believe that? Oh, he cut off the ring against Hugo Centeno. Centeno's backing up the whole time. Um, do we think that his power is going to translate against Golovkin? How do you know? Like, there's there's just no um, baseline for how you could make that conclusion. So I just don't think that this fight... Look, And I'm not saying that it wasn't a good performance. I'm not saying that it wasn't spectacular or anything like that because I thought it was amazing. I was like, great work from Charlo. Charlo looks exactly how we thought he would look. Um, in fact, finished him quicker than I thought he would finish him. But... I just can't say sit here and tell you Charlo would get, I guarantee he beats Danny Jacobs or I guarantee he's going to beat Golovkin or Canelo or anybody. Um, maybe, but most of the evidence that I would have from that would come from past fights and not this one because I didn't learn too much from this fight. I mean, I guess, I, and that's an interesting way to frame it in terms of Golovkin. I, I posted a clip of Jamal Charlo on Facebook this week of the, the J-Rock knockout. And it's, this is, you know, it's a fun clip. It also has some of the stuff of uh, uh, <laughs> the aftermath of the Julian Williams fight where uh, Charlo refused to shake hands and the crowd booed for like 15 minutes straight. But anyway, I, I posed the question with that uh, when I posted the clip, just, you know, you know, here's a clip of a great knockout. And um, just paraphrasing, you know, how does he do against Canelo and Golovkin? And I, you know, trying to stir the pot a little bit, I said, in my opinion, he beats both. There was something like that. I said it in a very, like, passive way not super aggressive, but still like, it was amazing how triggered 
Canelo and Golovkin fans got. Like they did not want to hear Charlo's name in association with, you know, either, you know, respective the Canelo fans or the Golovkin fans. They were like, no, you know, he's a bum. He gets blown out. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, I, I get, I mean, I don't know how much more he's supposed to do. I mean, in my opinion, Charlo is, is starting to build a resume, you know, um, reminiscent of Golovkin when he really started to come on the rise when Golovkin was blowing guys out. You know, you say, oh, it's not the highest level of opposition. It's like, okay, he's fighting Marco Antonio Rubio at six losses. He's fighting Daniel Gill, who's from Australia. Enough said on that front. Um, fighting, you know, Dominic Wade, who had struggled with Sam Solomon in his previous fight. I mean, these were, you know, these are some of the best defenses on uh, Golovkin's record out of his whole title reign and, and his, you know, uh, Gabriel, Gabriel Rosado, people like that. I mean, Charlo is doing what he's supposed to do against this level of opposition. I mean, he's doing everything he can to demonstrate that he would be a great challenger for Golovkin. I mean, there's no one else out there. Charlo can, I mean, how many other people could Charlo fight except for Canelo or Golovkin or Jacobs um, or Billy Joe Saunders? I guess those, those are probably the, the four guys where you would say, wow, this really says something. You know, unless he can drag the corpse of one of Golovkin's, you know, I mean, that really speaks, by the way, about the, the limited opposition Golovkin's faced in his title reigns. It's like, how many of Golovkin's opponents would you even care to see Charlo in with? Like, would it even matter if he had fought Dominic Wade and knocked him out in one round instead of yeah. two? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, these are not... So, when you start trying to make that type of argument of, oh, who cares he knocked out Hugo Centeno? I mean... Who cares that, you know, Golovkin knocked out, um, you know, God, just pick a name, Marco Antonio Rubio, Daniel Gill. Yeah, but know, there's a clear Adama, difference I mean, there. Um, Golovkin's a fan favorite, and Charlo isn't. Now, Charlo should be. The guy's everything you want in a fighter, um, with the exception of he talks. And his talking isn't just nice guy, nice guy, I did my best, they did their best, that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and, and, and frankly, that's nonsense. I would much rather listen to a guy like Charlo talk than, uh, let's say, um, Golovkin, who's pretending he's Borat. I mean, for HBO audiences, I mean, uh, maybe yeah. I, I didn't yeah, want to pick like on Golovkin, persona, but you know, but, yeah. but you know, your typical fighter who just says the, the normal stuff, Leo Santa Cruz is one. And I like Leo, but Leo is a guy that just comes out and says, you know, I just did my best. Like, you know, he's a good fighter. He's strong. You know, yeah, I'll give him a rematch, even though I won eight rounds. Like, you know, you just, you, it's just basically run of the mill, your standard textbook boxer. And that's not what Charlo is. Um, he does everything at an extraordinary level. Um, you know, that might be a little hyperbolic, but, you know, for the most part, from what we've seen, not what you think or because I, I think a lot of people kind of mess this up and they'll judge a fighter based off of how they think they'll perform at against some opponent that they've crafted in their mind, like some version of Golovkin or Canelo that Charlo would fight. And then they form their opinion on the result of that imaginary fight. And um, the reality is, if you just look at what you've seen, um, it's just been spectacular thus far. But did I get did, did was that an opinion I had before Centeno? And this is my main point. No, I, I thought that he just did he did his job. And, and I want to transition into that because the Davis and Cuellar fight totally plays into this 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 whole conversation. Or well, the 
the abstract of this conversation, not the actual content, of course, because Davis did, although Davis might like to fight Charlo, um, if you know what's going on between him and the Charlo brothers. Um, oh, yeah, that was very fun in person during fight week, by the way. A lot of added security. <laughs> yeah. Not to deal with outside factors, to deal with uh, the various fighters in their entourages to keep them well, separately. I was told that the added security was um, for, for basically for anybody who criticized the ESPN Plus app protecting them from Dan Raphael. <laughs> Look, so uh, I, I may or may not have sat next to or two seats over from Dan Raphael. And uh, I, I'm not saying you should do this, but uh, I, I will say I overheard a lot of venting from him uh, about uh, people who are getting to him on Twitter, complaining about the pricing for the ESPN Plus app and that, you know, top rank and ESPN had promised, oh, we're bringing you the best fights to the widest audience possible. And now, you know, you're hidden behind a paywall. He, oh, I'm just going to, yeah, break whatever conceit I had going. Yeah, it was, it was just hilarious. He multiple times throughout the night went on extended rants complaining that people were messaging him on Twitter and how upset this was making him and how defensive he was getting about, you know, uh, people who are criticizing the ESPN Plus app. So I'm not saying you should uh, <laughs> message Dan Raphael with your arguments and at him. pointing out the contradiction between, yeah, adding Dan Dan Raphael about the contradiction between uh, Top Rank and ESPN's original uh, marketing uh, for the ESPN deal, that they're bringing this to the widest, widest audience possible, and now they're hiding it behind a paywall. I'm not saying you should do that, but if you want to get a reaction out of Dan Raphael, I can guarantee he will be complaining to anyone around him Well, <laughs> if look, you decide to do that. If, if you're susceptible to Tom's request there that you at Dan Raphael, I got another one. Um, please at Katie Nolan. She's at Katie Nolan on Twitter. Let her know I said what's up. Let her know that um, she could squat up with me on Fortnite any day of the week. Um, ask her what she's doing Friday night. Um, ask her if she wants to, you know, enjoy a conversation about sports or boxing maybe. Or we could just talk about Fortnite or play Fortnite. Like, let me know what she says, please. Um, and I don't have a Twitter account, but um, just send it to <laughs> our got Twitter a big account. Flaw in your plan. Yeah, it's just just send her <laughs> to our Twitter account and then like tell her like message me or just refer to me and I'll respond. Um, but yeah, uh, so back to this fight. Oh, the, the ESPN app. Okay, for once, not for once. This is like, I'm not. What am I, Skip Bayless? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> I agree with Dan Raphael, okay? And I also completely get that perspective that Top Rank said what they said about bringing the fights and blah, 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 and they're going back on their word. And I agree. Like, yes, I am, you know, I love to stick to my word, and I totally respect somebody who says they're going to do something, and it happens. Now, if you are saying that because of our friend uh, Amir Khan and Phil LoGreco fighting on ESPN Plus, that's your problem. That's completely your problem because um, that's a matchroom card. That's not top rank. And far be it from me to sit here and try to protect Bob Arum and, and not criticize him, but that's not his problem. That's matchroom. Now, is our friend Bob facilitating those fights being aired on ESPN Plus? Yeah, he is. 
He is. He's the one. He is the one that Top Rank says. And this is, I'm sorry, ESPN, and this is how I believe it's working. But from the from ESPN down, they've told Aram, you have this much hours. This is poor grammar, but you have this. We're giving you these hours. Fill it with content. And naturally, Top Rank can't fill the content because they don't do cards every weekend. But ESPN Plus, they gotta fill this time. They gotta make that $4.99 worth it. And, and that's gonna be my, my last point about this. So they Bob's gone to get get people to to put their cards on. And my last thing I'll say about this is it's $4.99, people. Like seriously, it's $4.99. Yeah, can I tell you what Dan Raphael said about that? <laughs> in, in, in response uh, to on. another tweet that came in, he just he yelled out. It's fucking one cup of Starbucks. So yeah, it's fucking one cup of Starbucks. As much as I'm, I'm. I'm I was gonna make a joke, topic. and I'm just glad you ignored me. Oh, I me. stepped on I'm, you. I'm sorry. No, I'm glad you ignored me because I'm just thinking in my sorry head. I'm like, that. this is so much better. I, I, I'm not gonna seem like a mean person because that's usually not my place. But um, yeah, keep going. Yeah, just it's five bucks a month. You got a lot of boxing stuff. Um, Dan, uh, here's another scoop. Dan Raphael is getting a show from the creator no, of first take no, on the ESPN plus no. app. He was, he was very proud to talk about that. They're, they built a set in his house in a spare room. Oh God. Um, I need to make so a show. You do. We keep trying to get you to do that. The, I don't like, know what else Leo and I can say to you. We want you to do a show. The problem is my, where I would. Rec- <laughs> oh, I have to edit that out. I have to edit that out. That was not cool. Um, look, the problem with me doing a show is that there no longer is a problem, actually. Because if Aram's getting his own sh- or not Aram, Aram at, on his own show would be great. Um, but that that's just is like way off the rails. But like, if you're going to do a podcast, like something to wrestle with in boxing, Bob Aram is the guy. Oh my he, God, could you imagine? He won't have impressions and you'll, ne- you'll never be able to tell when he's telling the truth or not. But, like, people say the same thing about Bruce, that he just makes a bunch of crap up. Yeah, I was just going to say, he, he has that reputation. I take and everything he says as gospel. That uh, doesn't diminish the podcast, though. I still enjoy it, even if I accept that a certain amount of the stuff might be made up. Oh, for sure. I, I'm just an idiot, and I'm the perfect, like, target for, for the podcast. Like, I think everything is, what they say is real. So, like, whatever. I hope it's... Like, I, I don't even care. <laughs> it's real to me, damn it. Except yeah. with wrestling podcast and not wrestling. We're talking about Bruce Pritchard's Sling to Wrestle With podcast, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about. Great and podcast. Check it out. Yeah, obviously, like, we probably shouldn't or I shouldn't be putting over other podcasts or something. But, like, legitimately, that... I listen to lots of podcasts, okay? Lots of podcasts. Look, I'll just roll through the 30 for 30 podcast. Bloomberg Business of Sports. Bloomberg Law. I got Business Wars. Dunked on NBA Basketball. I listen to First Take. 538 Politics. Got to get some data in there, but I don't really listen to it that much. Uh, Jalen and Jacoby. Philosophize this. Like I'm just going down the list. A Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. And I'll tell you that of all these podcasts I listen to, something to wrestle with is Head and Shoulders, the best podcast of, of all of them. So take it from me, okay? And, and, and if you, even if you don't like wrestling, um, there's so much to learn on promoting, on pay-per-view, on TV. Like, it's really funny how people in boxing, like, laugh about the PBC experiment when, like, these wrestling companies, that's how it all started. Like, this is something that's been around for a long time that isn't new. 
And yet we're over here laughing at it because it's like, oh my God, they have to pay for, 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 for the TV air. No, it's, it's something that's been around for a long time. Uh, uh, let's just move on though. We talked about Davis and Cuellar for like a second. Um, I'm just going to get straight to the point on this. Um, look, strip away everything about Davis's personality and like failing to make weight. Um, the, the reputation he has outside of the ring, strip that away for a second. I'm just asking for a second and just look at the performance he put on, like the, the, the athleticism, the speed, the power, um, the, the, his ability to place his punches and, and the reaction he got from Cuellar, uh, landing those punches, like whether like stripping away, that is an extremely talented fighter just on his way to being elite. If you strip away all that stuff, because naturally that's the stuff that colors your opinion about him. And then here's, I just want to make an analogy about this. Okay. So Charlo got a fight that he, he was supposed to win and he did it. And, and basically, cause we know Charlo is really good. Now, who's the guy that most people compare Gervonta Davis to? Adrian Broner. And people will say, oh, he's just another Adrian Broner. Tom, I'm sure you've heard this or read it on the sub a, a couple of times. And look, when Adrian Broner was given the guys that he was supposed to beat, like guys that were like, so to to basically make this comparison, like former world champions or guys that were just pretty decent, I'm going to say Emmanuel Taylor and Adrian Granados. When Broner got those fights, what did he do? Nearly lost both fights. When Davis gives a guy who's a former world champion, who's proven that he's a decent guy, that's tough, that even if uh, you're better than him, he's still gonna gonna make it make it a fight. He destroyed him. Just absolutely toyed with him. And so, this new focused um, version of Davis, if you if you can strip away all that stuff, there's a lot to get excited about with this guy. And I, and I hope that it's here to say, like, I don't know if they talked about this on the broadcast and obviously you wouldn't because you didn't watch the broadcast. I, I just couldn't hear. I was in a place where it was loud watching the fight. Um, but basically he changed a lot of the circumstances in his life. He, he, he started training in Florida. He switched trainers. Um, and naturally we've, or obviously we've heard a lot about how what was holding Davis back was his circumstances and his surroundings you know, being in Maryland still. So that's that's my take on the fight. What part are you going to respond to? Sure. Just, yeah, great performance. I agree. Um, Quair was a solid guy. So, I mean, it's impressive that he was able to do that to him. Um, I, I mean, that was the question coming in was, you know, if you put Quair into the mold of, like, Adrian Granados, but, you know, better, uh, being like a former former world champion and all that, um, question was like, yeah, is he going to be able to like dog Davis the way that, you know, if you put, um, Davis in the, 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 the role of Broner in that, that analogy, um, or is it going to be a case where, um, this hard charging guy Quayar is just going to fall into Davis's offense. And it, you know, definitely ended up being the latter. It ended up looking like basically the perfect style matchup for what Davis wanted to do. Even Saying that, I mean, it was just an absolute decimation. I mean, you really have to appreciate the speed and power, the way he set up his shots, I and mean, the use of angles. Um, 
the use of levels, you know, going up and down to lend to the body and the head. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just sensational. I mean, it's still just crazy. I mean, we we talked about this in the chat a little bit. I was I was talking about phrasing Ryan Garcia for the opponent he's facing in the next fight. You know how how relatively uh, stiff a test that is for that stage uh, of his career. How old Garcia is? I mean, Davis is a guy who has fought no one, less than no one up until the point where he fights Jose Pedraza. And then Jose Pedraza, arguably the best guy at 130 at that time, mm-hmm. Davis blows him out. You know, mm-hmm. great star-making performance. He is a little he's a little bit slow for the rest of 2017, but now he's fighting Cuero, who's another guy who, you know, on he's I've seen him, you know, have so many solid performances on TV. He lost to Abner Mares, but that was really a big win for Abner Mares. Like, that wasn't a, a given coming in that Mares was going to win that fight and look impressive. I mean... You know, that was considered a huge win by Mars when he got the win. I mean, it was yeah. good. where is that it mattered that much? And then just, you know, Davis just, you know, and again, disciplined. It's not like he took his time to do it. It's not like he took, you know, time off. He also, like, didn't get reckless and just throw punches. I mean, he, you know, set his, his shots up. He, you know, he took his time. I mean, it's amazing to say it was, you know, a patient, calculated performance when it was a third-round knockout, you right. know, but it felt like that. So yeah, I mean, couldn't couldn't think more highly of him. Lomachenko is now up at 135. Um, I think you know, unfortunately, 130 is just about the single most fractured division in terms of the politics of the sport. You know, you have guys with uh, not so much top rank anymore, but you do have some guys who are top rank. You have some guys who are golden boy, and then you have some guys who aren't signed with a promoter but are you know more affiliated with Golden Boy or with HBO. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I would love to see, um, they're talking about for Davis that he's going to fight the, the winner of the Tevin Farmer, um, Billy Dib uh, fight. I was going to say, which is going to be Tevin Farmer. You want to see that? Yeah. Now, here's, yeah, I mean, here's it, why okay, it's, it's yeah, not that I think like, Oh, this is a great fight. Like it, here's the thing you have to remember that Davis is what? 23 years old still. Oh, I just found yeah, out my girl yeah. Heather Hardy won. Um, but Davis is like 23 years old, okay? We don't know that much about him yet. Like, people, if you want to sit here and talk about, oh, yeah, I want to see him fight Lomachenko, you need to settle down, okay? We, like, I, I almost think, I, and yes, Davis is a former world champion, but I still kind of think of him as a prospect because he beat Pedraza, and it was a fantastic performance, no doubt about it. But then his next three fights are Liam Walsh, Francisco Fonseca, and Jesus Cuellar. And he had varying levels of success. Now, what do those things have in common? And even the Pedraza fight, he fought guys that were there to fight. But we haven't seen the, the and this is the difference between like Mayweather coming up and um, a lot of other guys. Well, Mayweather is just an example, but there are other guys where they get lots of different styles in front of them. And, and it helps to develop the fighter. Um, that's what's so critical about the amateurs and then having the proper um, coming up fights, you know, the the building fights. And so a guy like Tevin Farmer, I want to see him fight because of a, the different style. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, Cuellar came straight forward. And even Pedraza, who is known for being a slicker guy, um, tried to come in on Davis. I think his attitude with um, that fight was... Uh, Davis was so untested, he could just like mow him over, but it ended up working completely to the advantage of Tank. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Tevin Farmer, they've been beefing a lot. Um, that's a great one. I mean, I think Showtime would love to broadcast it. And it's also, it's always interesting because 
Um, with Farmer having fought on HBO, he got a bit of a shine from them and from Max Kellerman specifically, really praising him a lot. So, um, you know, Farmer, even though he technically lost his last fight, but, you know, there were other circumstances. I think it's now been ruled a no contest. So, um, yeah, that's a good one. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing uh, Davis back. He, by the way, this didn't really come through on the broadcast, I think, but he got the biggest cheers of the night. He, um, he was the closest thing to a local fighter. Um, he's from the D.C. area um, or Baltimore. Uh, he's from Baltimore. Um, so he he definitely like his fans definitely traveled. I mean, as it was kind of a weird card at the Barclays Center because, you know, Broner from Ohio, Charlo from Texas and then Davis from from Baltimore. But um, he brought up a great crowd. He even had a great crowd for the Pedraza fight. And, you know, he was essentially unknown at that point. There were clearly right. people bussing up to the fight. So, I mean, he's already he's 23. He's already a draw. I mean, just the sky's the limit. And um yeah, I mean, I hope, um, I mean, it'll be great if he can stay disciplined. He, he seemed to have a great camp with Kevin Cunningham. And, uh, I mean, I'd love to see just the guys at 130. I mean, I, w- I was looking through this before the fight started. I mean, it's funny to think, like, we viewed Lomachenko as being so dominant at 130. But he really didn't, I mean, he didn't really unify, he didn't beat, you know, the other champions, let alone all the other champions. So, I mean, there are a bunch of other names who are, you know, not, a names but there are a bunch of b b minus names at 130 that um yeah i mean hopefully davis can stay at that weight um for a few years i mean yeah i, I mean i could see him just fighting a steady stream of those guys and his star power just continuing to grow like i said i mean it's it's not for nothing that you know he can draw money i mean this is just a point i wanted to make on the podcast i mean the the card did something like fourteen thousand um seats last night that's a lot and People, yeah, people always shit on the PBC for some reason, but it's like, you know, Lomachenko, people lost their minds about the Rigandau fight. You know, that was a 5,500-seat theater Madison Square Garden. That's the same venue that Sergei Kovalev fights out of. You know, Sergei Kovalev can't even sell that venue out, and it's a 5,500, you know, maximum. The the theater, right? Theater Madison Square Garden. You know, I mean, this is like Do you know what the capacity there is? I think it's 5,500. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, I don't know if you were asking me or if you were just prompting me so you could tell me, but um, (laughs) I think it's 5,500 when it's configured for boxing. Um, You know, so this this was more than triple Kovalev's last um, attendance number um, when he fought there. So, yeah, I mean, successful promotion and tank was a big part of that. So, yeah, sky's the limit for him. Um, You know, hopefully he can stay on track and it really looked like it. Um, You know, came in a full pound under the 130 pound limit to make a statement after he had some weight issues. So um, yeah, can't wait. Um, based off of what I see here, um, it's anywhere from 2000 to 5,600. Now let's just say that it's 5,600. Okay. Kovlov can't sell that out. Like, are you kidding me? Donnie Nietes might have sold more than that fighting at the StubHub Center a couple years ago. Like, that's a joke right there. But I've also How? always felt that they've exaggerated the um, the draw of Kovalev. Because basically, I think he got a lot of Golovkin shine. And, you know, shout out to Golovkin. The dude has been able to draw. And HBO did a, a really good job, and K2 as well, of getting him fans and knowing how to connect him. But main events really dropped the ball and getting anybody to connect with him uh, other than 
like um, just liking his boxing, but I think boxing isn't enough. Like just being a good boxer doesn't get you people uh, interested. See Guillermo Rigondeau, see Arizondi Lara, guys like that. Um, yeah, just qu- quick numbers. Kovalev did uh, eighty five hundred when he fought Hopkins. That's that's right? when not he fought a lot. That, that was at Boardwalk the two Hall. of them eighty five hundred, and again, this one did fourteen thousand. So, I mean, it really just you know these Barclays Center shows are fantastic. If you if you've never been to one, they're great, and they always have a stacked off TV undercard. I mean, I sound like a shill saying this, but it's like they they well, really. They I mean, it, you know, talking about what I said, they had names. Yeah, Heather Hardy, who's oh, my right, girl. Yeah. Um, yeah, you had Rashi Warren. Did did he fight? I'm not quite sure because I don't see a result posted. Oh, um, did you not check the front page of SundayPuncher.com? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Where the headline is Rashi Warren return to form Broner Vargas prelim report. Sorry no. to shame you there, but That's yeah, okay. I literally wrote a write up of his fight. Um, yeah. Uh, Rashi Warren looked great. Uh, Richardson Hitchens looked great. He's a TMT prospect. Yep. We spotted a bunch of those cards. Gary Antoine Russell, who's uh, part of the, the fighting... The Gary not Russells? Just Russell family. <laughs> yeah, the fighting Gary Russells, because all the brothers have the same name. Uh, Dylan Price, who's another TMT prospect, looked good. Uh, Slick Dez, uh, who, who uh, reposts some of our stuff on Instagram. He's um, an About Billions prospect. He, he looked a little bit wasn't his best performance, but you know, still look good. Yeah, Heather Hardy was there. So, yeah, I mean, they, My I mean, girl. they just they do a great job. I mean, they they fill the card. I mean, even you know, get there right at five. Yeah, Fabian Maidana, Marcus Maidana's. He's Mar- not Marcus good. Maidana by the way, he's not good. He put on a good performance, but he's the pretty young. Also, had fifteen losses. The guy he fought oh, had really? 15 losses. Like, dude, he's not I good. I actually, that was my uh, my dinner break fight. <laughs> so okay. he didn't make it into my post-fight report card. Good. Well, you I'm didn't not going to pretend much. that I watched that one. He's, he's not good. Just just an FYI, 25 years old, still fighting guys with 15 losses. Hmm. Oh, anyway, he's 25? I also thought he was So I thought he was younger and his opponent was better. Okay, so noted. He was younger a long time ago, but now he's not. Uh, let's move on. We're like an hour <laughs> so in. So goes the passage just, of time. Yeah, one. yeah. Keep it, keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. Okay, so I have a lot. I don't know why, but I have a lot to say on the Frampton Donair fight. Um, I have nothing to say, so I will let you go ahead. Okay, I mean, I, I like got like baseball like analogies here, but anyway, here goes. Um, so in this fight, no, no, no. I, I just want to talk about Donair like on the whole because this might be his last fight. It's possible that he's going to retire, and I just want to reflect on Nonito Donaire's career. And now that I'm saying this, I actually feel bad about what I'm going to say. But whatever. Um, Basically, Donaire's entire career, this guy got himself as high as number two on pound-for-pound list. most, Most of all the success he had in his career came because he was more athletic than everyone else. He has superior athleticism, and... His monstrous knockouts came from exploiting opponents using that athleticism. I mean, in his prime, Donaire is one of the fastest fighters I have ever seen, or quickest, I, I should say. Um, he's, he was quicker than Khan. Gary Russell's probably closer. Um, Khan is quick, but not Donaire quick. Like, Donaire's left hook in his prime. Look at the Darchinian fight. It is a thing of beauty. But the reality of this entire thing, of Donaire's entire career, 
is that he was never as good as we were led to believe. And um, if you're going to make the case that Donaire was good and deserved that spot close to number two and all the fanfare that he got, you're basically a mark for the HBO hype machine. You bought, bought it, sold it, or what is it, hook, line, and sinker? That's you, okay? And look, this n- nothing against Donaire because I have mad respect for any fighter that doesn't have the same fundamental skills as other guys, and they still succeed more than those guys. That tells me that Donaire was not only just an athletic freak, but he worked to make it work. And um, now, saying all of that, okay, this is a really poor fight for him. And it kind of showed me that Frampton would have always beat him. Um, I, I thought this fight was going to be really bad. It wasn't. It was a decent fight. But I thought it would be really bad because you have two patient counterpunchers in there. And that is usually never good. But Frampton shows that he can lead and he's led before in fights. Uh, Donaire can't do it. He's never done it. Frampton did it. He obviously showed that he's got higher IQ. He has better fundamentals. And with Donaire not having the athleticism he has anymore, the, the when he did Donaire stuff, the left hook, it came close to the end of the fight. Frampton was bothered, but obviously he was good. He's like 11th round, like, dude, all I need to do is not get hit again, and the fight's basically mine. And look, this is what happens. Guys like Donaire, um, Donaire, he's missed a jab his entire career. Like, he's never had a jab. No jab to, to set up the left hook or anything. And... And it makes sense because when a guy has super athleticism, they don't develop the other areas of their game. Whereas if you have a guy that's not the most athletic, but, um, well, they're not the most athletic, don't have a lot of power, they develop extreme, like, skills like Pauli Malignaggi, who pound for pound is, in his prime, was just a, a sublime boxer, but he had no power, so, like, it, it made, no di- made no difference. Um, so... Anyway, my analogy, and I don't know why I, I made a note of this, but I'm just going to see if it, this works. Cody Bellinger plays for the Dodgers. He was the rookie of the year last year, hit a lot of home runs, etc., etc. He's struggling now. And it's because Bellinger's um, swing has got so much power in it that when he connects, he, he, he can take the ball deep. But as pitchers have adjusted to him and figured that out, he's done nothing. Because he's now getting exposed for not having the, the fundamentals in his swing. And um, that's kind of like Donaire. He was able to make the left hook work for a while. But once the, the story was out, it, it all went away. Um, and I thought it was also funny. I don't know if you caught this, but in the fight, Donaire tried to call timeout. <laughs> I, I have not watched it, unfortunately. Okay, well, when I had you, a very busy day today. Yeah, when, when you go back, watch it because Donaire tries to call timeout like he did in the Vetyeka fight, but the, the ref doesn't let him do it, and and Don, Frampton jumps on him a little bit. Um. Anyway, Donaire's had a long career with a ton of success. Um, I don't know why I'm talking. I I've basically not talked about Frampton, but like. Frampton's, it, it's like, yes, you were supposed to beat Donaire. Everyone thought you were going to beat Donaire. We all know you're going to fight Selby, the winner of Selby Warrington, so Selby next. Like, there's nothing to talk about with this fight other than that. So I hope, um, you know, that's enough. Like, if, if you want to hear more, us talk about this more, like, I don't know, let me know. I'll do something later. I do actually have two quick things. Sure. So first is, um, 
how would you compare this to the Jesse Magdaleno fight, both Frampton uh-huh. compared to Magdaleno? And, uh, you know, I, I felt it was worth bringing this up because it's relevant to one of the notes later on. And uh, Donaire's performance in that fight versus Donaire's performance in this fight. I would say, um, I would say that this was wider. In the Magdaleno fight, um, I thought that it was true that Magdaleno won the fight, but was it? Did the st- scorecards tell the story of the fight? Um, and I thought that they didn't. I thought that the fight was a little closer than the scorecard said. Now, did Magdaleno win? Absolutely, but I did think that Donaire. Um, gave a, a good enough account of himself in the fight. Whereas in this fight, it's very clear that in probably eight rounds, Donaire didn't have a chance and couldn't mount anything. Um, Frampton kept kept him off balance, kept him from doing whatever he wanted to do. And um, he fought a fight where he made as few mistakes as possible because you know when you're fighting a guy like Donaire, a mistake could be the end of the fight. I mean, he made one mistake in the 11th round. Donaire lands the left hook. And I think Frampton was pulling away at the time, so he kind of rolled with the punch. But if he was just a couple inches forward, um, the fight might have been over. Now, so I I would say that um, this was a little wider. Yeah. What was the other question? Um, Oh, just comparing Donaire's performances in both fights and Frampton compared to Magdaleno. Uh, Yeah, Frampton is better than Magdaleno. Yeah, I just, I was curious, um, like I said, I didn't get to watch the fight, but just from watching some of the reactions, like people seem to be a little bit down on Frampton. And I feel like, you know, the sense I got is that Donaire was like a little bit more focused than he had been in some of his fights, like when he got blown out by uh, Nicholas Walters and people just said like he basically wasn't even doing like a proper training camp. I mean, it looks like he's a little bit more focused now and, you know, he was able to put on a competitive fight, but. Not at, well. He was able to compete, but you know he was never in the fight as far as like winning the fight. Like he never looked like he had a chance of winning it. So yeah, I don't I don't really know what to make of this. I mean, I just hope more of these guys at featherweight fight each other. I mean, Gary Russell Jr. Uh, really looking forward to his fight with Jojo Diaz. Uh, looking forward to the Santa Cruz Mara's rematch. Um, looking forward to Frampton fighting Selby. Well, I'm and go um, to that one. you know, let's see the mix and match there. Looking, want to see more of those guys fight. I, and uh, um, Oscar Valdez, by the way, hopefully, you know, there can be some crossing of the lines. Love to he see learns Oscar to box, maybe? Too. Oh, I thought you were going to say he learns to box. Yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> what I will say um, about this is that in regards to people who are down on Frampton, here's the question that I have. And it's it, this is for American fight fans because um, the British people... Um, no, it's just for the American fight fans because you obviously didn't watch Young Frampton. You didn't watch Frampton coming up because the fights weren't on here. And most likely your first exposure to Frampton was the fight with Quig. And here's the thing. I love Frampton. If I had to put down a list of my five favorite fighters, Frampton is on that list. Along with other guys who you're just going to be like, why do you like that guy? I don't know. I don't know why I like Gamboa. It's just something about him. It's his eyebrows. But um, but Frampton's one of those guys that I really like. And here's the thing. If you look at Frampton, what fights are you comparing that has you believe or has you down on him now? What fights? The fights that he was supposed to win by blowout? 
You cannot compare those two things. You also have to take into consideration age. People decline over time. Framptons had to move up in weight because of very likely, and I'm going to, I don't know that this is how I should word it, but basically because he's unwilling to be disciplined outside of the ring. I find it hard to believe that a guy as small as him, and I've stood next to Frampton, like shoulder to shoulder with him. He's a small guy. And um, that guy, the reason why he's moving up is be, that is obviously a reason why. So um, if you look back at his fights, though, our first exposure to Frampton in America was a Scott Quigg fight, I believe. He didn't look spectacular in that fight. He, he lost about four or five rounds when Quigg realized, oh, I shouldn't just stand here and try to just eat punches over and over again. And then the next fight you saw is against Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz fought the completely uh, the wrong game plan, but it was still a close fight. Frampton didn't blow Santa Cruz out the first time they fought. And then in the rematch, Frampton looks like a fool. So where are people getting this narrative that Frampton was this elite fighter that now has fallen from grace that's not what what has happened he's fallen a little bit but he wasn't falling from that high to begin with so that's what i'll say and, and then obviously you can th this brings up the whole question of like how talented is 126 i don't know i i, I think 126 is, is is a division that is very talented but has fighters who are very talented at particular things and when they get together they make each other look bad they don't have like that elite, well-rounded fighter that does everything. You know, if you look at Santa Cruz, he has the activity, but doesn't have the power. Or in the end, we now know he has the ability to adjust. Frampton has the timing and the counterpunching and a little bit of pop, but not much else. Oscar Valdez has activity and one hell of a chin, but literally nothing else. Um, Abner Morris is over, he's okay. He's, he's well-rounded, I would say, but he just doesn't have the ability to... to have above average to like very good defense. I can go down the list. Nobody's not without their flaws. And that's not the case like at welterweight where you, for a long time, we had um, Mayweather who's just like great at everything. We had Pacquiao who was great at everything until Marquez put him to sleep. Or he wasn't great at buying judges. Um, it, nope, nope. I, I'll just stop there. So anyway, um, that's it for that. Amir Khan versus Phil Agreco. I'm sure you saw this. Like it took like 12 seconds. Yeah, that was hilarious seeing the reactions from everyone. I actually broke it to the people on uh, press row. I was like, I think it was a comment from like Dean or so, someone. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was like uh, Amir Khan just blew him out in 40 seconds. And uh, yeah, I got I had, like the first news on on press row about that. Someone um, uh, told me because I, I I recorded it and then posted it on Streamable. Uh, yeah uh like authorities don't at me um basically though um there someone says you know don't you think it's a like a spoiler by putting it on streamable and saying it's a full fight and i was like this is a good <laughs> oh, point you see the like th yeah like, like max five minutes or something yeah um yeah, I don't know. It's like, what are what are we supposed to take away from this? I don't even it's such a crazy outcome. Like I'm reminded of uh Kell Brooks last fight exactly. you know, where he popped the guy out I mean it's like you know and I, I sort of I get the point you're trying to make about the Jamal Charlo fight against Hugo Centeno but yes. Hugo Centeno is yes. a world away from 
you know, Phil Agreco, who's been out of the ring for two plus years, you know, with a YouTube, like a food themed YouTube show. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I, I love that you just said that. Just love it. Okay. Because we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but this is what it looks like when you haven't fought in two years. Amir Khan blows you out. And we're going to say, I thought here, you were going to say when you haven't fought in two years, you blow a guy out because Amir Khan hasn't fought in two years either, which is the fun thing about the dynamic. Now, Golovkin, one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the sport, is going to get his Phil DeGreco. Like, I love it. But anyway, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're totally right. Now I'm going to propose a different perspective. If you're Eddie Hearn, what do you want me, Johnny Boxing fan, to have walked away with? Well, Con the Great. He's back. He has power now. He's reinvigorated. He's faster than ever. Some variation of that. That's what he wanted you to walk away with. And if, he, if you did walk away with that, you just got fooled. Because, like, we've seen this story before where a guy comes back and he looks great. Um, if, if it was a, a bit of a tougher opponent, um, do you remember the Ricky Hatton comeback? Like, he looked pretty decent against uh, Senchenko until he got stopped by that body shot. Like, I think if Khan would have fought someone a bit tougher, that was his fate. And they're going to well. keep Khan, like, in this little glass house until they can feed him to Brooke. Although, I hear people talking about Khan fighting Broner. Stop. That's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Khan looks exactly the same as he did against Chris Algieri. Like, Khan's a good fighter. He's decent. He's above average. Like... Is it like, but seeing it, what he did with LaGreco, do you still feel confident picking, or do you feel confident? Can you even just fathom saying Khan will beat Adrian Granados? I would pick Adrian Granados over Khan. Exactly. That's my point. That's my point. You know who beat Adrian Granados? Other than everyone? Um, I'm not sure where you're going with this. I mean, Adrian Broner. But, well, yes, he did beat him. Just saying. Um, okay, I thought you meant there was like some fun, like Phil Greco had beaten him back like <laughs> or something. Yeah, he does have some other losses. Fun fact. On his record, Adrian but. Granados lost to Sean Porter. No, I don't have any um, Adrian Granados facts. Um, but if you yeah. text uh, subscribe to 40404, I think that's actually ESPN's number. You get a free ESPN plus subscription courtesy of Dan Raphael. I don't know. Um, let's, well, there you get, go. let's hit on the news. We won't spend too much time. Um, sure. Yeah, we're just way. I have like more thoughts, but we're way over time already. So I'll just let you keep going. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at Adrian Granados' losses. He's actually only lost yeah, to good guys. Let me and, just get in here very quick about the Amir Khan thing. I mean, he... It was a very super surprised. I mean, no one would have thought that. I mean, Khan definitely has speed. He has some power. But I mean, it's like the problems Khan has are like his chin and concentrating and being defensively responsible over the course of like a longer, tougher fight. So that that result does absolutely nothing to minimize or show that he's addressed any of his yeah. downsides. That said, I didn't see that coming. I mean, that, you know, still surprising sort of fun out. Um, it shows he still has his athleticism so there you go but that does nothing to show that he's overcome any of the problems that he's had in the past 
but yeah, yeah. solid guy. I mean, he even you know, it's even little things like Louis Colazzo. I mean, Louis Colazzo is still coming back and like beating prospects every once in a while. So I mean, you know, it means something that Khan completely washed him out. Um, you know, he, he has these Khan does have these performances where you say, oh, you know, he's not too bad. But then also he has such clear flaws that you know if you know there's someone who's good enough to you know go at what he's weak at then you know he's <laughs> we've seen how that plays out so um, yeah this does absolutely nothing to, to to bolster that but it's still an interesting dramatic result I'm not going to minimize that I mean I I didn't see that happening I thought you know it might be I, I thought it it would might be I didn't see Lagreco winning a single round I mean I thought it might be a twelve nothing win um, or I thought it might be a late stoppage if it's just kind of an accumulation of punches uh, but. Yeah, I don't, know. I don't know. I mean, he made a statement. Good for him. You know, nope. I had something completely off base to say, and I'm just going to shut up. Um, let's just move on. Um, Canelo got suspended for six months. Um, given everything you know about the situation, and I'm not going to repeat any of it, so if you don't, then, like, too bad. Given everything you know, was the suspension that he got justified. I mean, I, I think that I, I mostly agree with Fred who is on, I, I didn't, I didn't agree with every single thing he said when he was on, but I mostly agree with him. I mean, I think this was completely a political decision. Um, you know, Canelo withdrew from the fight. Uh, he didn't wait for the judgment to come in, um, which, you know, is to the benefit of triple G triple G is already hastily trying to plan the stub Hub fight with Vanas. Um, so, you know, oh, very quickly, just in case I forget to say this, uh, I also loved another thing I overheard from Dan Raphael. He said, apropos of absolutely nothing, this was just in the middle of the night, he said, you know what I'm really looking forward to? Uh, watching, Dana. uh, <laughs> getting smashed up by Triple G, which people who have been following Twitter stuff know that, uh, Raphael and, and Ben has been going back and forth. Ben has been calling him fast and stuff. So, um, no. pretty funny to see just like, uh, <laughs> very funny to see Dan Raphael just kind of like just venting, venting about that. I really shouldn't say this. I mean, I say this as if no one, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I feel like uh, Dan Raphael, this isn't going to get back to him. I don't know. I, I feel like this is kind of a violation of the boys club to be speaking out of turn, but no, it's very funny. I mean, the, uh, <laughs> he was just like, I'm looking forward to <laughs> watching Ben as getting beaten up anyway. Um, sorry. So yeah. Um, Canelo uh, drops out, uh, then he gets the suspension. I think he, it seemed he had been tipped off, or at least he knew from his legal team or whatever that that was the outcome, which is why he withdrew, which is a little bit better for Golovkin's team to have a little more time to put a fight together. Um, I think it's stupid. I mean, I think the Clenbuterol thing is like, I get it's like a bigger issue because, okay, it's like you say it's a valid excuse. That's not a great idea because then that opens up for anyone in Mexico to use it. But if you look at some of the other circumstances of what's happening, that the main, quote, performance enhancing benefit is to, like, help people, like, uh, you know, get get lean. Um, Canelo is moving up a weight class. It's not like he's trying to move down a weight class or something. So it's like, you know, you look at all the factors it seems like it, it probably wasn't a big deal. I think there there was room for cooler heads to prevail. I don't think it helped that Canelo was like calling Triple G a pussy on like social media and stuff, and you know was not in any way apologetic. I think <laughs> if he had come forward and said, you know, I'm sorry that this happened, um, I'm embarrassed, you know, I'll you know have my lawyers talk to the Nevada State Athletic Commission, or wasn't trying to be like 
an edgy teenager in the way that he was like taunting Triple G about it. Um, you know, very possible it could have just gone away, but he was stupid about it. His team was not super smart about it either. So, you know, it happens. Uh, they'll do the fight in the fall. It's going to sell more pay-per-views than it would have if they had it in May because it's essentially double the promotion time. This adds, you know, this great other level of intrigue. Um, now all like the tabloids and TMZ are talking about it as well. So it's going to be bigger in the fall than it would have been in May. Triple G is going to be even older. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this isn't really that bad for Canelo. I mean, it's kind of stupid that the suspension happened, but he's partly to blame for that as much for the clumbuterol as his actions after the results came out. So, yeah, I don't think there's a lot more to say. I mean, I look forward to the fight happening in the fall. I, I'm really hoping that we don't have to deal with some crap about um, Canelo fighting like Spike O'Sullivan instead and like just saying, oh, like, that oh, would be funny. That would be funny. And I can see it happening because they would say, well, we need a tune up fight. Dude's been out of the ring for a bunch, bunch of months, uh, a year now. Um, we obviously really respect the ability of Gennady Golovkin and his skill. And based off of how he beat Vonis to a pulp because Dan Raphael asked him to, um, we feel we need a tune-up fight out of respect for the ability of one Gennady Golovkin. I can totally see that be, be something that they do. And it would be in line with what they've done so far, which is if you think Golovkin fighting Vonis at the last possible second that they could have made that fight was uh, because they thought they had the fight with Spike O'Sullivan. If you think that that wasn't a move by Golden Boy that was deliberate, um, you know, you're, I, I, you know, I just bless your heart, okay? But I think that that's gamesmanship right there. That's gamesmanship through and through, and it's that that went on throughout the whole ordeal. So don't think that Golden Boy is in or K two's innocent here because they had this part happen to them. It's happened to uh, from both sides. But anyway, here's my take on this, like altogether, and I'm gonna keep it short because I do. If you subscribe to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash sundaypuncher, you basically um, hear me talk about this every day for a couple of minutes, and that's basically that, um, you know, all all my takes on this. But what I will say is I got to, this is against, so there's two things, okay? What ideally what I would have liked is a legit investigation where we say we're not going to do anything until we get the results of an investigation. And from the investigation, they'll determine if it was contamination, which uh, initially the report said this is consistent with contamination or whether it was deliberate. Finding out the truth there is crucial to me. And um, and then we will decide what we're going to do. That's cool with me. But the rules based off of the way the Nevada State Athletic Commission changed it, and if you don't know, I, I believe I went into this on one of the daily podcasts and not on this version of the podcast, but basically the Nevada State Athletic Commission changed from being a publicly funded government-run uh, commission to privately funded, which means their money comes from um, basically promoters and fighters, etc. And so a lot of things changed, including how they ruled and punished things before and you see this with the M the UFC. If you follow the UFC, punishments were crazy. They just or and in boxing too, punishments were crazy at the discretion of the commission. Some guys were good, some other guys weren't for the same thing, and they got different durations of punishment. So essentially, um, they made they changed rules, and and the rule was that if you test positive, contamination or not, you're gone for a year. And they followed through with that, which is fine with me. 
is completely fine with me and I get the protocol here, okay? So it's either do the full investigation and find out the truth or just stick with what the, what's written on paper. And what's written on paper is you got to go. So I, that's all I have to say about it. Like, you know, based off of what they've done, I'm cool. And now that leads to the next question of, are like, do you think Golovkin versus Martirosian is an acceptable fight? I don't know if you meant that as a rhetorical question. You were no, 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 no. It's, it's for you. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, well, it's hard to talk about it without bringing up Gary Yanchenko just first, right off the bat because sure. that was clearly the fight. If he had done that, everyone would have been happy. I mean, it's unfortunate Gary Yanchenko has been so under the radar. I mean, I think people who have followed him, like I got to see his last fight uh, when he was on the Wilder undercard. Um, he was off TV, though, you know, so I got to see it. Other people didn't. Um, that was basically a stay busy fight anyway. It's not like it was super substantial, but yeah, he's, he's a good guy. He was the next mandatory up. Um, you know, this is something that Gleb actually got an interview with the head of the IBF about, although it's ironic, the, the head of the IBF forgot that or didn't realize he was the next in line, but they have this thing since Glovkin's unified champion that all of the sanctioned bodies have, um, talked together to figure out like the sequence of the mandatory challengers. The IBF is the next up. If Glovkin wants to stay unified champion, he needs to do those mandatory challenges in order. And yeah, uh, if he's not fighting Canelo in a unification fight, then he has to, or wasn't fighting Billy Joe Saunders in a unification fight, then he has to fight Darianchenko. And then instead of that, he's fighting Venice, who hasn't been in the ring for two years, uh, is a 154-pound fighter, not a 160-pound fighter, which you've talked about before. I mean, that's actually, in terms of the promotion and advantage, because he's not going to have a problem making weight, but yeah. in terms of competitiveness, sure. not great. Um, you know, and Vanas has never been close to being stopped before. Nope. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see a super rusty Vanas who's not going to have the power to keep Triple G off of him, and it's going to be probably a brutal stoppage which is going to get Triple G fans excited again because they'll say, oh, you know, Venice has never been stopped before. Oh, Venice was in with Jermel Charlo, so that means, like, Triple G doesn't have to fight Jermel Charlo. You know, it's there's going to be all kinds of fanboy crap that's going to come out of it. I mean, it's really... What should have happened is Canelo still should have been able to have a fight. I mean, this whole outcome is just stupid. It's stupid he was in Mexico. It's stupid that, you know, cooler heads didn't prevail and they weren't able to, like, keep the fight going. But, okay, that happened. It's bizarre that he's doing this fight. So we were talking about attendance before. How many seats is the stub hub again? 9,000. Yeah. Okay. So we just saw Broner fight in front of 14,000. So is this like going to help Triple G renegotiate the Canelo fight? Yes. <laughs> that, yes. You know, the best thing was 9,000. Definitely uh, is. I'm, I'm being sarcastic. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, this is a tremendous show of weakness that they could barely scrape a fight together. They couldn't even do it at the Mandalay Bay, you know, after the like, you know, T-Mobile fell through. They weren't going to do it in the MGM Grand or the Mandalay Bay. They, you know, they, they fell completely off that map. Um, HBO has not wanted to give them a reasonable amount of money, which was hilarious also, which there was some, I think you talked about that, that there was some talk behind the scenes that um, sort of the combination of like the MGM um, organization and also HBO were kind of trying to take Canelo's side and, and didn't want Golovkin to fight. Well, they, they know where the money is. Well, and besides that, it's like, you know, if you have a, an eight-figure pay-per-view payday on the table, why the fuck is he fighting Venice for no money? I mean, how much money is he going to make from this? If uh, HBO is only putting up a $1 million license fee. I've heard that it's not uh, a million, but go on. 
Sure, but a minimal amount of money, no matter what. I mean, for, it's you know, seven figures, from what I hear. Low seven figures. Well, one million and one dollar is low seven figures, but you know, whatever it ends up being. Oh yeah, you're um, right. You're right. Sorry, I was miscounting. I'm an idiot. Yeah, counting's uh, not my yeah. thing. Yeah, no, yeah, just look at yeah, I can carry on. So it's like he's making a minimal amount of money. He's going to make almost nothing from the gate. It's a tiny venue. Again, it's like. Um, yeah, it's like the worst Barclays card show do like, you know, around 9,000, you know, and that's like, I mean, that's always, that's the hilarious thing too. You hear the spin from like the Steve Kims of the world who are like, he's selling the most tickets in the history of the stuff up. It's like, okay, so he sold like 9,050 instead of like 8,900 or something. Like, I mean, you know, great. Okay, they put in a but few fold-up shares. That's just basically that's really being bragging, the biggest right? fish in a small pond though. Good for you. Yeah, but. I mean, yeah, anyway, the point is this is a tremendous show of weakness as far as this marketability goes. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with the Canelo deal if they're just going to say, okay, same terms as the May 5th fight, um, which is possible if um, it's related to a rematch clause from the first fight. I, I, I can't claim mm. to know those details. But, you yeah, know, if this a, needs to be good, renegotiated, good then we're in trouble in every way weakened his negotiating position oh yeah that this was the best he could you know it's like uh, the general rule of negotiation for anyone who's taken any kind of negotiation class is they talk about batna the best alternative to a negotiated agreement like that's why eddie hearn is talking about wilder should accept the 12 million because that's by far more than he can make in any other fight it's the best alternative to you know making that negotiated agreement triple g is proving he has no way to make money outside of fighting canelo yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's stunning incompetence uh, on their side. You know, again, if the agreement needs to be re renegotiated, if it, if they already have the terms down, if it's related to a rematch clause from the first fight, yeah, fine. It it doesn't matter. Their their attitude is he's getting old. He did a training camp. He wants to take a fight. Like, okay, that's fine. Um, anyway, I don't even remember where I was going anymore. I'll I'll let you keep no, moving ahead with the podcast. You 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 brought up some good points there. Um. And to just kind of transition and leave this on a funny note, how funny would it be if um, they take this fight with Vonis and it's obviously not ideal? Like K2 guy has basically, unfortunately, you know, I don't care about K2, but I do care about Golovkin. And he's been put in a really bad situation here. Like Golovkin, like, if you really think about it, it's sad, you know? This is a guy who, yes, he's not the biggest draw in boxing, but he's a fighter that you want to see do good. Okay, he's he's always putting on entertaining fights. He's never getting into trouble. He he doesn't miss weight. He's just basically, you know, a good fighter. Okay, and at the basically that point in his career where he has a chance to really take his career earnings and all of that stuff and provide for his family to the next level, this happens. Now, with that said, how funny and I mean funny and kind of like that. This is just life sort of way. Um, if they take this fight with Marosian, who we're all talking about as has no chance, been out of the ring for two years, et cetera, et cetera. Marosian, on the other hand, has been juicing this whole time. This dude comes in a Greek God and either knocks out Golovkin, drops him, or is just very competitive in a fight. Like that, is, that worst case scenario. And then he says positive, like at the end too, like that would probably even be, make it even better. But <laughs> like how horrible of a situation would that be for Golovkin and K2? And like, if you're the Nevada state athletic commission, do you feel bad about that? The, about your ruling about Canelo? 
And the offhand chance that it was, oh, I love how I put, how I made the rundown too. The, the next topic is just so appropriate. But anyway, like that would suck if you're Nevada. It, it just sucks for Golovkin. Um, and there's a potential that this could happen, and this sucks. That's all I, I mean, that's a lot of circumstances. But yeah, the thought that uh, Venice could be the next Yamanaka, uh, Luis Neary, <laughs> and Golovkin falls in like the Yamanaka situation of like. Yeah, good reference. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, you know, he takes the first loss of his career to Vanas, and it turns out that Vanas was juicing. Yeah, that would be the, 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 the craziest, uh, yeah, just cruel uh, uh, twist of fate imaginable. Okay, so we're already at an hour and a half. So therefore, what I had planned next is we're going to go through the list of all the fighters who did not sign up for the WBC's clean boxing program and just talk about which ones are clean and dirty. But because we're so long, I'm going to do save that for Patreon exclusive. So if you want to hear us talk about um, and and keep it from their people listening, probably. Um, so we can probably go a little more harder on this and, and more harder accusations i guess yeah i guess we could shoot hard um we'll do that on patreon so if you want that (laughs) sign up for patreon i mean one dollar gets you access to all the podcasts five dollars you know ten dollars whatever um we're not we're not picky um so yeah we'll we'll move on to um also mikey garcia just real quick okay mikey garcia vacated his 140 pound title which means that his intentions are to go back to 135 now, what is there for him to do? Like, why, if you're Mikey, what's your mindset? Why do you go to 135? That's you, Tom, if you're Mikey. Or are you, are you asking me? Yeah, I, sorry, you just said, yeah. Um, do I ask a lot I of hypothetical just, questions? Sometimes you do ask the question and then answer it yourself. Okay, yeah, um, I, approach, I should anyway. probably stop doing that. No, I mean it's fine. I mean you're 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 saying a sentence with a question mark. The more reasonable thing to expect would be that I would answer it. Um, yeah, I, I mean I think it's an interesting. Uh, I think um, regarding the going down to 135, there are a few pieces to this. I mean, um, there seem to be some of the stuff you have to read between the lines. But um, Mikey Garcia has has developed a strong relationship with Al Heyman. He got you know to fight Adrian Broner, which was a, a big fight for him, and in, in, you know in terms of elevating his career. Um, there are a lot of people like, you know, Terrence Crawford would have killed to be able to fight Adrian Broner. Um, and there's been a lot of talk that... Um, he legit might have. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> accurate thing is accurate. Um, that uh, Robert Easter... There's there's a lot of rumblings. There was a lot of behind-the-scenes pressure to get Robert Easter Jr. the fight with Mikey Garcia, that Robert Easter Jr. wants the fight, that, you know, he's had a number of very hard fights that really haven't elevated him that much and they've been kind of just like you know tough opponents but he's gotten very little credit for having those fights and anyway so i think i think they might be trying to make that fight like there seems like there was a lot of kind of behind the scenes pressure to get that fight made so that could have something to do with it um might be mikey garcia you know i think there's a chance that he wants the lomachenko fight and this is his way of trying to set that up lomachenko's at 135 Mikey Garcia is campaigning at 135. Suddenly, they're on a collision course. So um, that would be exciting. I'm definitely curious to hear your thoughts, though. I mean, I don't see any grand plan. Those are kind of the two things that I think of was just, in terms of his next fight, he was planning to fight Robert Easter um, for another belt. And separately, you know, his his medium-term plan for his career is to get Lomachenko. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything in other other than what you said to say. Like, I literally would say the same thing. So we'll just move on to Jacobs and Suleki. So what does he get from beating Suleki, Danny Jacobs? I mean, there's kind of the, this fun bragging rights to this because, like, Suleki is the only one who beat uh, Hugo Centeno. So then he gets sort of, like, to one-up Jamal Charlo, which is, you know, it's stupid fanboy crap. But, you know, you know Eddie Hearn's going to be talking about that. Um, yeah, he, I mean, what he gets, and this is part of like a bigger topic is he gets to move ahead, uh, in the rankings for one of triple G's belts, which is something, you know, this, I talked about this with Joven. We put up a post fight video on our YouTube, on the Sunday Puncher YouTube channel, as far as what is the next step for Jamal Charlo. And, you know, he has an, the interim WBC belt and he's just going to sit on that and either get to fight Golovkin eventually, or he's going to inherit Golovkin's belt when it gets vacated. Um, so I think kind of the same thing for Jacobs, this moves him ahead in the sanctioning bodies. And, you know, again, he has this kind of fanboy argument of why he should, should fight Selecki. Meanwhile, you know, that sort of omits that Selecki has been fighting at, um, 154 and he's moving up for this fight. So even though he did fight Centeno, there's kind of, you know, it was like a moment in time where they're in the same weight class, although Selecki's now been campaigning at a lower weight class. Jacobs is probably the single heaviest guy in terms of fight night weight at 160. So oh, for sure. Yeah, huge disadvantage for Selecki there. Um, I think Jacobs is going to win by knockout. I was at Selecki's uh, last fight. He fought on the Gassiev undercard uh, for the World Boxing Super Series. He fought Jack Colquet. He got buzzed multiple times during the fight. He won he won convincingly, but he got buzzed multiple times during the fight, and I think Jacobs is going to stop him. And you know, it'll be a good performance on TV. So uh, Jacobs did not get a stop in his last fight. You know, you say maybe more of his opponent's fault than his fault, but you know, um, you know, if you're trying to, if you know, if that's his brand that he's the big strong guy at 160, he should get a stoppage, and I think he will stop Selecki. What, what about you? What do you think? Uh, I, I agree with your take that Jacobs is going to stop him. No doubt about it. Okay. Sulecki's been a guy that's been a name and uh, had a record in the division for a very long time. But you've never seen this guy in a fight with one of the champions. And there's a reason for that. It's because he's not that good. Like, if he was, you would have seen him featured on an undercard in the way you saw a Sergey Lipinitz featured on the undercard. And I know he's fought on PBC one time, so like I'm not stupid. I know that, but how come he didn't fight again? Why was he on the World Boxing Super Series undercard, which basically has jabronis on the undercard? So he's clearly not that good. Now, I was just thinking about this, and like this is like a really interesting topic that we're gonna bring up, and and obviously I think we shouldn't talk about this because it's gonna take too long. But whatever. Um, there are. Like, if we really got together and we thought about it, there are certain types of fights. Your mic's making a lot of noise. Um, oh, sorry about that. I, my, uh, is it Claude? Bots. Because I, I was told that nobody <laughs> actually cares about you on the podcast, that it's all about Claude. People want to know about Claude. Claude, Claude Lemieux. favorite. He's sitting right next to me on the couch. No, my my earpods ran out, ran out of battery, so I had to switch to wired headphones. So sorry about oh, the noise. I thought that was going. I should have put. I forgot to put it on mute while I was doing that. All good. But yeah, Claude is right here next to me. He's purring. He's uh, all cuddled up in a ball. So shout out, shout out for all the Claude lovers out there. Yeah, Claude's Claude's one of the fan favorites. He's one of our most requested uh, co-hosts. But okay, so there are certain types of fights that you have, and this is one of them. So you have. 
um, the obviously 50-50 fight that isn't really 50-50 on paper. And that is a typical thing you see on these top rank um, cards where you see your your Gilberto Ramirez is. Well, actually not Gilberto Ramirez, but you see Jose Ramirez versus uh, Mike Reed 50-50 because of the records, but it's not not necessarily that. Then you have holding pattern fights where you bring in a guy that's got a decent enough record that fans won't buck, that they'll accept the fight, and then they forget that that guy, it was just barely acceptable, and give him all the credit for beating a guy who wasn't as good as his record indicated. And those are pretty similar, and I brought those two up. Then there's, you know, obviously the showcase fight where you know he you need to get a knockout. This is a version of the glorified uh, showcase fight. This is the really good record, but very clearly he's too small or he's been um, dropped or knocked out before that he's going to get another knockout. There are different types of fights that you can have, and, um, and, and all fights, I think, fall into one of these uh, several types of fights and um, that's what I think this is this is basically a holding pattern and there's no reason why Jacobs wouldn't be in a holding pattern because he's the only guy at middleweight that can say no matter what happens in Golovkin and Canelo I got one of them next he for sure is getting a fight with Canelo or Golovkin next as long as he keeps winning and then you put on fights like Sulecki to build his profile on HBO he's guaranteed that fight so Eddie Hearn isn't stupid. He knows that there's no way he's putting Jacobs in there with anybody. Like, Charlo is not realistic. Nobody is realistic for Jacobs who poses a threat as long as Golovkin and Canelo exist as um, opportunities for him. That's all I got to say about this fight. I want to talk about the Gerald Miller fight. Go for it. I'm just kidding. I don't. I have no, absolutely nothing to say about that. Yeah, I have to say, by the way, this is uh, at the Barclays Center again. I'm not going to be at it, unfortunately. I've had problems dealing with matchrooms. And separately, it's a little bit too much for me. This is still just a part-time thing to do two fights in a row. Um, I am looking forward to one of the undercard fights, though. I hope you, we get a chance to talk about that. The debut yeah, of Donyar Yulyasinov? <laughs> yeah, thank you for saying his name. I was not going to attempt that. Is that correct? Have you heard his name said out loud before? Look, man, I've seen Yulyasinov fight too many times. To that, too many times that is healthy. So, um, yeah, I know how to say his name. Um, I watched every one of his fights in the Olympics. I've seen some of his uh, other amateur fights. Like, guy's good. Now, I don't, I don't know if he's gonna be elite, top of the mountain, middleweight, whatever. I don't know, but he looks like he's got the goods. The, the Miller fight, there's nothing to talk about. Like, he's probably going to fight AJ next. He'll get a payday. He'll lose. Blah, blah, blah. Hopefully, the only the only real interesting storyline here is will Duhapas show up in boxing shoes versus some, like, Asics that he got at Foot Locker? <laughs> yeah, just to take a step back. I, I have nothing really to say about the Miller fight either. I mean, uh, yeah. What are, what are we supposed to say about this? But just in case you missed what we were talking about, Daniar uh, Yelusinov? Yuliesinov. Yuliesinov. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Yuliesinov. I, I think I got it. Or maybe it. it's Yuliesinov. Um, Whatever. Nobody cares. Anyway, he's um, from Kazakhstan. He's the Olympic gold medalist at welterweight, and he's making his 
pro debut on that undercard. So hopefully it'll get posted online somewhere. I'm, I'm assuming uh, HBO is not going to show it because, you know, why would they have common sense and show, <laughs> show an Olympic gold medalist making his pro debut? But he's a really solid guy. He's a guy who even though, you know, some guys who have success in the amateurs don't necessarily have a pro style. He definitely seems to have a pro style. Um, separately, you know, the, the Olympics, um, the 2016 round without the headgear, um, it, it was really more of a pro style. Now also they don't have the computer scoring anymore. It's actual like judges scoring the fight. So it does resemble pro boxing a little bit more. So, um, he's a little bit old, um, to be making his pro debut. I think he's, uh, 27 or he's going to be, uh, yeah, he's 27. So, um, I believe he's 27. I don't want to. Uh, say that that firmly but anyway so uh, yeah but hype prospect he's got to get behind you know if you like your your Lomachenko's you like your your uh, Kovalev's you like your Golovkin's you like some of these Eastern European guys who um, you know speaking of Golovkin at least and Kovalev flew under the late radar for you know great stretches of their career but then we finally found out how good they were later on uh, Danny R he's he's a guy getting on the ground floor he's a guy you should check out so, so look forward to, to finding that on YouTube or wherever that, that ends up after he makes his pro debut next week. Yep. Um, Katie Taylor also on the undercard, but, uh, yeah. Uh, moving on, ESPN will air a card, Jesse Magdaleno versus Isaac Dogbo. Don't really have much to say. Um, Jesse Magdaleno hasn't done much, like, ever. The only thing that's interesting is that there's some bad blood because Isaac Dogbo's, um, I think it was his dad, was talking trash about how he was going to – something about getting Magdaleno thrown on the other side of the wall that Donald Trump is going to build or whatever. And it was taken out of context. It was basically like, you know, just trash talk that just went a little too far, shot a little too hard. Uh, Magdaleno was worked into a shoot. And so, <laughs> you know, whatever. Magdaleno is pretty talented. Dogbo, yeah. He's pretty talented. I don't really know too much about Dogbo. So, like, you know, we're, we're, we're taking Magdaleno – whose best win is Donaire against a guy that nobody's ever heard of. Like, who knows how this fight's going to go. But judging how Top Rank's done things so far, Magdaleno is in no danger in this fight. Jesse yeah, Hart I just I have no, no interest in the A side or the B side in this fight. Uh, moving on, Jesse Hart will fight Desmond Nicholson. On Friday, Josecito Lopez will fight Miguel Cruz. Um, Anthony Durrell will fight Abraham Han which should be an interesting fight, and especially because Hans is the dude who basically got his head split open when he fought J. <laughs> yeah, Love. Yeah, that was insane. And glad to see him back. Jorge Lara, this is the the, the, the the attraction of this card. Jorge Lara will fight Claudio Marrero, who's a former champion. Lara's one of the... He's, he's getting old now, but um, he's still one of the most exciting fighters that you can watch in boxing. And then the... I don't know if it'll be televised, but Erickson Lubin is back after his loss, and then Cowboy Carl is also going to be back. If you've never seen Cowboy Carl, that's Baby Canelo, okay? That's Baby Canelo. You have to watch this guy's fight. Uh, it, what, I can't, uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan Carl, I think it's, or it's Carl Ryan, one of the two. His name Ryan is... Carl. Ryan Carl. Okay, Carl. good. I knew it, this is what happens when you have two first names. It's like, which one goes first? But uh, Ryan Carl is his name, but he looks just like a little Baby Canelo. Um, he, he'll be fighting against somebody who's obviously not very good because neither is baby canelo and that's it so that's the end of the podcast we've gone very long today if you don't like that my apologies blame it on tom he kept talking i was like tom stop talking and tom was like 
I'm holding you hostage here. Uh, and, and he was like, ask me about Whole Foods too, please. They, I go to, <laughs> and I was like, Tom, you were such a hipster. Uh, no, thanks, Tom. Thanks for coming on. Um, it sounded like it was a real fun event to be at. Like, I mean, you got Broner and the Charlos and Gervonta Davis all on one card. Like, I'm very jealous of you <laughs> that you got to go to that because it had to be just great sound bites coming from every direction. Yeah. Yeah, Well, thanks for having me on, by the way, as we're we're wrapped down. I always enjoy coming on here. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I enjoy the Patreon, the dailies as well. So uh, like that a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great event. Uh, A little bit too much fun for its own good because there was a lot of a lot of beef between the different camps, their entourages, a lot of extra security. Uh, Maidana got thrown out. Yeah. What happened there? there So I I saw only like part of it. So uh, Maidana, I guess his friend spit on Madonna's former manager. I have no idea what's going on with that. I only saw the after effects of that. It happened right in front of me. I was sitting um, right behind the B-side corner. So all the B-sides there. So this was after the Jesus Cuellar fight, because I guess Cuellar is Argentinian. So yeah, there's some relationship there with this same guy they have a beef with. So Steve Willis was screaming, though. He was on the side of the ring waiting to go in for the Jermal Charlo fight after that. So He's, like, completely screaming and up in arms. This guy, like, security instantly gets him out of there because he knows, like, you know, they know, like, this is a fight waiting to happen. Then uh, some guy from <laughs> uh, that camp, I guess, again, this, like, this this Argentinian team, um, he's standing next to me, and he said, like, yo, where'd he go? Oh, he go over there? I'm going to kick his ass. You know, he's saying this, meanwhile, like, right next to the security. I'm sorry for that <laughs> offensive accent, by the way. Um, you know, yeah, he's saying this right next to security, Lose which is not one. what you want to say, like, you're going to, you know, kick someone's ass. I didn't know that, you know, Fat Maidana was in the middle of that, but uh, I, I did see online there were some YouTube videos of him getting ushered out because it was his, his friend who did the spitting, so... Yeah, not quite as memorable as the, the last time a Charlo brother was at the venue when uh, there was uh, a chair thrown at Jermall Charlo by uh, <laughs> Jared Hurd's posse. Well, but, well good for um, that. It's a close second, though. Yeah, there are always, always fun times to be had at the Barclays Center when you have these guys. Oh, man. Um, I heard shots were fired at some point. Did, did they pat you down on the way in? They should have. Uh, they actually, they always have a lot of security and the, yeah, it's like, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, which is not I don't particularly trust you. interesting. They, they had a lot of heightened security all week. They had to switch some venues so they could have more secure areas. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I made it through. I think I was okay. You sound like someone that comes strapped. <laughs> like Robert Guerrero, never go to a New York airport without your gat. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, as as Tom mentioned, patreon.com slash Sunday Puncher. Rate and review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc., etc. Message us in the Discord. You, you want to talk about boxing and you don't want to talk to uh, you know the other people in there because you don't care what they got to say? Send me a message. Send Tom a message. We're all in there. You can message any one of us, I think. If I'm wrong, message Leo. Okay? And so that's it for this week. Uh, thanks for listening. Have a good night, Cuss. Choose wisely. Will I fall? Will I fly? Heal my soul. Fulfill my high. Cross.